Yeah. Uh, today, I don't really have a good title for this lesson. Um, we're going to talk about how to talk about how the world is to kids. What's what's reality? What's it like? Um, it's actually my favorite topic. Like this is my my niche in the world of things to talk about. Doesn't make it any easier to talk to my kids about it, uh, as I have learned um, <laughs> when I was. Let's see. Lucas was, I think, in third grade, and I uh, picked him up from Glenpool Elementary, and he says, "Hey, Dad, I had a, I had an argument with the kid at school about like religion and stuff." And I was like, "Oh, well, okay, yeah, how'd that go?" And he says, "Oh, he he said that demons are real," and I was like, "No, they aren't." And I told him all about it, and I was like, "Well, I mean, hang on." <laughs> Jesus cast out something. Um, they, they're real. He, no, no. Like I said, yeah, yeah. So we had this. I realized that the what, where would he learn that from? He wasn't learning. He wasn't reading books on demonology. The way I talked about spiritual things made it appear to a third grader that I thought they're not really real things. And that bugged me, I mean, deeply, of what else have I messed up as a parent? Uh, Turns out there's a long list. Uh, And so I've been a little more cognizant now of how do I talk about spiritual truth, especially as a guy with a background in science. I I do believe in science. I I quote Lucas in my dissertation from the same year when he said, um, Dad, uh, should should I believe my science teacher or my Bible class teacher? And like I was totally ready for birds and the bees, and he threw that one at me, and I was unprepared. And again, it's my niche. It's my area of speciality. And that question, the way he worded it, was just so pointed. I was like, well, well. <laughs> and so uh, this topic of what's the world really like and how do we know it is today. How do we talk to kids about that? So the words that are important, we want to talk about faith. We want to talk about science. I want to talk about spirits or spiritual things. Uh, and then as if we're making a list of spiritual things, we'll probably come across such names as angels, demons, and, and maybe uh, that old serpent Satan we'll have to talk about. So in translation then, how do you define faith for kids? What's it mean to believe something? Hmm? Like you, I think you talk about things you can see, or that you can't see, like the wind. Mm-hmm. You see what it does. Faith is like believing in things because of things you know. Yeah. You don't know. Believing in things that you can't necessarily yes. experience um, with your five senses. Yes. Um, now, if I were picking on you, I'd say you can't use believing to define faith because then I'm going to say, what's believing mean? It's going to say, well, having faith and, you know, so. but you're right. I mean, that's, that's correct, that it's something, it's a hard word to pin down of just what do we mean by that? Is it a kind of knowledge? Is it a kind of trust or certainty? Um, I like the five senses. I like the, the seeing as a representative for the five senses for younger kids. I think that's where we want to head with this. Uh, faith is trusting in someone's word as opposed to seeing it firsthand, right? Not my senses, not something I saw, trust in what somebody else said. So uh, who here has been to Hawaii? 
Oh, that did not work at all. Um, who, uh, Mark, what's your favorite vacation destination? Well, I've traveled overseas some, if you want. Okay, give me that one. What's, what's a good overseas? I'm into London and Costa Rica. London. We'll, we'll start with London. <laughs> How do I know London exists? I have never been there. You can show me a map. Well, I can draw you a map of Narnia. I mean, what? How, how, do you, how do you know? Well, Mark says it's there. And pretty much everything I got is, is somebody said it's there. And so we're trying to take a trip this coming fall. Uh, it's a, we're saving up all our pennies and maybe selling one of the children uh, to do this transatlantic cruise um, that sails out of London and ends up in Galveston. One of those once in a lifetime. We're pinching all the pennies and trying to make it work. It's going to be cool. How do I know London's there? Only because Mark said so. For all I know, I get off the plane, or they fly me around the Gulf of Mexico for a while, land me in Galveston, and there's a guy with a sign that says London, and I'm just like, I guess I'm there. And they drive on the other side, and it's, you know, it's trust. Most of what you know is based on, well, somebody said so. Even in science, I've never done an experiment to prove the Compton effect, but Einstein did. And, the world is yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I haven't been in space, but that guy was there and he took a photo and it seems pretty good. So, I mean, faith is trusting in somebody else, whereas science is more like knowing by senses, or we might say first-hand experience. Faith is more like second-hand. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it is, and I don't mean second like less important, because again, most of the things you know are second-hand. How do you know your parents are your parents? They told you. At some point, somebody said, hi, I'm mom, and you're like, guess so. And that is all you know about it, unless you've had a DNA test. And by the way, you didn't do the DNA test yourself either. So just saying, two ways of knowing what we call firsthand, things you touched, things you saw, experienced personally. And then everything else is somebody told me so, and I trusted them. Okay. Um, Spirits are unseen people or beings. We believe beings is a word that little kids are just going to glare at and not know what to So people works, although that does get weird, unseen people. But we believe there are people like it. We are people. We also believe there are people that are different kind of people. Uh, that there are, Talk about ghosts there because that's what I think. I, you think of. I think you're going to end up talking about ghosts almost unavoidably. Yeah, that that would be an example of us trying to imagine what a spirit might be like. Is Casper? You know, I mean, so some. Been telling them there are no such thing as ghosts. Again, back to my point, like with Lucas, he's heard me say there's no such thing as ghosts, which he then equated with nor angels nor demons. Oh. Like that there, there's no, not, he put all of those things in a category and said those aren't real. And that's fine. I mean, remember, we say tolerate mistakes and work on them as we go. But it was just interesting to me that he categorized everything he couldn't see into the same category and said no ghosts. See, so somewhere in there, we do want to reinforce, I, I do believe there are things I don't see. I just don't necessarily think it's Casper. It's not even that I disbelieve in, in ghosts per se. There is a story in the Old Testament where Samuel appears to the witch of Andor and she's like, Ooh, what's that? And he's irritated. He's like, why did you wake me up? I was sleeping. But he's dead, right? And he just shows up. Ma'am. I don't know what brought it up, but as we're, Hesse and I were coming back to driving back through Oklahoma City to Rusty's parents' house, um, 
over this past week, he said something and it made me think of the story of Balaam and his donkey. And so I talked to him about that and yeah. about how like the donkey could see him, yeah. could see the, the angel of the Lord with the flaming sword and Balaam couldn't yeah. until his eyes were open. The donkey was talking to him and just as he thought it was hilarious. Yeah, that, 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 that's a great example of there was a whole person there doing a thing at a place that Balaam was unaware of. Not impossible. Seems downright. Correct. So with angels, if, if we can give a definition of spirits, then we're going to say spirits who serve God, we typically call angels. And that's as far as I go. If you're, if you're a Roman Catholic, you go from there and you launch into the myriad divisions of angels and angelology. And again, they, they, they err on one side and Protestants on the other, right? They, they imagine, like we said this morning, they imagine everything. Like they got the whole army of God mapped out with ranks. And we're like, yeah, there's probably an angel. And that's as far as we go. So maybe somewhere in between there, it's fine to imagine a bit. And the Bible does say a bit, but just to not get too carried away. Have I told you my, my angel at the monastery story? Uh, first time I went to the monastery, I visited. And you take your meals with the monks and they read books during meals, you don't talk, and they chant the reading. Which is funny when they're reading like Civil War history or something. And then Pickett said, get them boys. You know, and they're reading. But one day they're reading and it's this book about theology. And the guy in the corner, I'm just doing my thing and I'm the only Protestant in the room. And now we turn to the doctrine of angels of which the Protestants know basically nothing. And I swear he winked at me and then went back to it. So yeah, that's, they, they have a bit more developed thoughts on that than we do. So if, if spirits who serve God are angels, then my demons are going to say, eh, spirits who don't serve God. That's again about as far as you can go down that rabbit hole and get all kinds of crazy, but that's pretty good enough for, for me. And then Satan would be kind of the ultimate expression of that spirit who is the enemy of God and seeks to hurt us. Big thing with Satan is don't imagining, don't imagine him as anti-God, like of as big of God, but on the opposite side. He's not the bad God. He is something less against God, right? There is no bad God. There is no alternative. There is one God. Satan is something less who opposes God. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about biblical metaphors of faith and science and so forth. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. So again, there's the good illustration of the way we think about their sense experience and then this other thing. Um, so if you define, like a lot of scientists do, your sense experience is all there is, then this verse becomes nonsense, right? We walk by ignorance and not by knowledge is what it sounds like to a scientist. But when you realize a lot of the things you know you didn't see yourself, then you start to say, okay, I get the picture now. We walk by trust, not always by firsthand experience. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And not doesn't necessarily mean not knowable or even not provable, but things I have not personally experienced. Okay. So um, there's sciences like, Knowing things firsthand. You pick up a rock. You examine it. 
through touch and sight, you learn about rocks, right? Stack them, you can throw them at your brother, whatever. Science uses the senses to learn about the world around us, and it's great. Yay, science, okay? It's a very useful way of knowing and learning things. We've, Christians invented modern science, and it is a gift to the world. See dissertation pages 175 to... It's, it's one of my favorite hobby horses is talking about the history of Christians in science, and it's a thing of beauty. Um, we have nothing to fear from science. Yay, yay. Okay. It's just one way of which we know things, and not necessarily even the best. Okay. Um, faith is more like looking at a map. Back to my London example, or, or GPS for the people... I realized the other day my kids have never seen a Rand McNally map, and so I have to. <laughs> when I said we used to use maps in the car, Calvin said, like pirates? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, it can be tra- scary to travel where you have never been. Right? When you use a map, you're trusting someone who's been there before to tell you where to go. It's the only way you ever get anywhere. Okay? Faith is that. And that's literally the Bible language when it talks about Jesus passed beyond the veil for us and is now the anchor of the soul. Like, he went there first, and now we know what's there. He drew us a map. So I think that's a great way to talk about faith. Um, faith is like reading a book, which is a great metaphor, because there's a book I like that I would like my kids to read. Okay? When you read a book or listen to a parent, you learn something you didn't know firsthand. Most of what we know comes to us in this way. Prove this. I like to do this with the kids. Prove to me you have a brain. Can't prove it like science. I've never touched my own brain. It's a problem. If you do that, you have other problems, right? Something else bad has happened. How do I, how do I have a brain? I know I have a brain. And this is not even a silly expression. One of the most important pieces of Christian philosophy in the last century is a book by Alvin Plantinga titled God and Other Minds. And he uses this analogy. He says, how do you know anybody else has a mind? Like, how do I know I'm not the only one and the rest of you are just like some kind of trick? He says, I'm not saying we should worry about that. <laughs> I'm saying every day you don't worry about that. You just assume other people experience joy and pain like I do and that there are real people out there in those bodies and that's a real thing. His point is, if you can believe that, believing that there is a God in heaven is not a much bigger step, right, from believing that there's anybody else. Most of what we know is not known by science, by direct experience. It's known through, I'm pretty sure there's something going on in Susan's head, and that's all I've got. The end. Okay. Faith is believing that others have seen things we have not seen. Say it like that. It's not too crazy. I hope people have seen things I haven't seen. Okay. Um, faith, and this is my favorite example. Faith, uh, imagine you're on a path under a street light. Okay. Your senses, science, only let you see some of the world. And you should definitely trust that. Like, how do I know where to put my foot next? Well, use the light, look down, put it there. Okay? But what if I told you, so you're, you're traveling on this path, and there's an old guy on a bench, and he says, Hey, youngin', don't wander off into the dark. There's a creek over there, and then there are there's woods, and there's wolves in the woods. So don't stay on the path. You'll be fine. Just don't wander off in the dark. How do you know there's a creek and wolves in the dark in a forest? All based on whether or not you trust the old guy. 
Okay, now if you're a skeptic, I'll show him, and you wander off, and now you're wolf food, right? <laughs> but you either trust the old guy or not. Now the challenge of religion for us is there's another guy on the bench who is a, in my mind, he's a drunken Scottish guy. <laughs> and he says, yeah, and there'll be dragons there too, and it'd be fire and eat goats. And, and he's really excited, and you're like, I'm not sure about what he said. <laughs> but this guy... And so religion for us in faith and religion has to do with kind of picking and discerning which of these people from the past sound credible to us. Which one is telling us about what's in the dark believably? But the skeptic is saying, I don't believe any of the old guys. In fact, he's saying, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. The universe stops at the edge of the streetlight. Uh, or again, as Alvin Plantico would joke, it's like a drunk looking for his keys under the streetlight because it's the only place he can see, so they must be there. The fact that you can only see there doesn't mean that they're not somewhere else. <laughs> it's great. It just once you've looked there, maybe contemplate the fact that there might be a universe beyond the edge of the lamp. Right? So I, th I think that's a way of thinking about that. Does the world cease to exist in the dark? No. Somebody tells you. I'll tell you what's out there. Either trust them or you don't. And you could assess their credibility and measure them. Drunken Scotsman, I'm not so sure about the dragon. Old guy who says there's a creek and there's woods. I'm like, man, doesn't sound too outlandish, but all of it's crazy if you only believe in things you can see, which is, you know, the whole world of skepticism in a nutshell. There's another example that I really like, and there's, you're talking with skeptic, it's, uh, you ask him, you know, do you understand everything about electricity? And I say, well, no, of course not. Yeah. I said, but whenever you walk into a room, you still put that switch, even though, you know, that's the only thing you can see, but you still trust it. Yeah. And it's kind of the same way. The whole of modern society runs on the science of electrons, which none of you have ever observed. <laughs> you are just taking people like me's word for it, that there's a thing called an electron and it behaves in this way. And none of you think about it when you pull up your iPhone and post on Facebook. But that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, is there a world beyond us out in the dark of the path. Uh, the Bible tells us a lot of things are going on in the unseen world. Same way there's a lot off the path, off the lit path. There's a lot of world out there beyond what human experience, at least mine, can see. Prophets of old, um, as we said this morning, kind of got a taste of it. Uh, sometimes God would pull back the curtain and say, take a look over here, Isaiah. And Isaiah would say, oh, and then he'd write stuff. And we, we'd say, wow, that guy sounds crazy. He sounds crazy because he pulled back the curtain and saw something I've never seen. Of course he sounds crazy. Right. Um, I can't know about that world by science because by definition, it's the world I can't experience or haven't yet. I know it by trust, faith, and what God tells me. Or if you want to get real concrete, by what God told some person. Or you could say like what some person told me, God told him. I mean, but however you arrange that sentence, I'm trusting somebody to say something. Mark says there's a real London, and either I buy it or I don't. Isaiah says there's a real mountain of the Lord's house where there is no war. Again, I either buy it or I don't. And you have to decide, do I trust Isaiah to have said that to me? And this is a little off topic, but I'm just curious. Yes, sir. Like, so, Mr. Mike, whenever a prophet speaks, like, it's always kind of, whoa, like, way out there. Mm -hmm. Has prophecy stopped today? In the next slide, uh, no. <laughs> I'll say this. Come on. Uh, 
1 Corinthians 13 tells us that the gift of prophecy would not need to continue forever. Whether there should be prophecies, they shall cease. Whether there should be tongues, they shall end. Uh, it's, it's in there. like that. Um, I don't think it's as clear as some people think it is as to when it ceased. Like there was a point in the calendar where he's like, nothing after this. And if God sent somebody a prophecy today, I wouldn't say, impossible. I would just say, hmm. Okay, interesting. And now it's I, I'm back on the bench, right? Is this the drunken Scotsman, or is this the old guy I trust? Sometimes, like, we lived in Tulsa. We were practically across the street from Oral Roberts, and they would tell us what they saw, and we said, yeah, this is the drunken Scotsman. This, I, I'm not buying this. I don't feel it's credible. That doesn't mean it's impossible. Um, what is interesting in the Bible is that it's people on the edges of history that get the greatest outpouring of miraculous things. Isaiah in the midst of a warfare, the apostles spreading the church to a new world. So if there's some guy who tells me something amazing happened in Africa or something, I'm like, okay, I'm not shocked by mission field wonders. I just know it's not the norm of churches that were supposed to kind of settle into what God had shown them and live by it. So all prophecy then would have to be compared against same way, trust, right? I've come to trust God's word. So you tell me something new. Odie says, yes, and I saw this. I'm going to say, I now need to compare that to the thing I already trust, rather than just trusting everything. If Odie... Canon. Huh? Canon. Canon. That's the word. Yeah, it's the old Latin and Greek word for a measuring stick. Like, I've got this canon, I've got this standard, and I test things against it. Uh, and that's, that's my tool for knowing. And so I live... Call me a skeptic now. I live in a world where I don't anticipate prophecy in my life ever. You tell me you had one, I'm going to say, that's sweet, dear. Um, and another thing about prophecy that makes it difficult, you say Jesus appeared to you in your kitchen. It didn't appear to me. So it's not something we can share. You and I read the book of James, we can share that. And so Christianity seems to be built upon these things that we can share that have been handed down through the centuries and less so on the spectacular. I'm just, I'm an egomaniac, but I'm just humble enough to say somebody could have an experience I haven't had, and I'm not immediately going to say no. I'm just going to say my experience has not been that. No. There you go. <laughs> Crazy person asking Sorry. about prophecy. Uh, <laughs> yep, no, it's, it's a good question. Uh-huh. There we go. Um, I do like paintings like this um, where Renaissance era people before and after Renaissance would try to like imagine how they saw the unseen realm and they would just take all the weird pictures from the Bible and just throw them on a map and just be like there it is that may be entirely right. I mean, it, it looks like someone painted Isaiah. He's like, yeah, and there was a lion and there was a guy and he's a mountain. Maybe. How would I know? Um, it's just hard to kind of imagine. Oh, there we go. Do the thing. I have to. Touch screens are great until they stop being touched. Stop it. There we go. Angels and demons. The Bible tells us there are other kinds of people or beings in the unseen world. Angels are what we call those beings who love and serve God. Demons are what we call those beings who do not love and serve God. Pretty simple. Um, I think the trick here, again, is to find that middle road. I want Lucas to believe in angels and demons. I don't necessarily want him to believe there's like one under that chair. 
So it's, I believe in it in the broad category, and that means that there has to be specifics. I mean, you can't say, I believe in angels, but not specifically. Well, then you don't believe in angels, right? I mean, somewhere out there is a person named Michael. Like, that person is out there. There are specifics. I'm just willing to say, remember what we said, science and trust. I'm forced to trust, if or not, in things like angels. The Bible doesn't spend a lot of column inches spelling out what God wants you to know about angels and demons. It's pretty murky because it's not the point of the story, right? The point of the story is that there's an angelic war in heaven. The point of the story is Jesus has come to save mankind. So that's where the pages get spent. So while I trust what God says about angels and demons, he just doesn't say a lot because apparently it's not a big deal in that sense. So I, we should probably talk about it more than we do. We should maintain a humility that doesn't get carried away in our own personal lives where our whole world is filled with angels influencing us or demons altering us, where that becomes the center of our spirituality as opposed to Christ. But we could have more of the back at the monastery. They end every evening uh, with a, one of their evening prayer chants. Talks about, you know, God send his holy angels to protect us while we sleep. It's right out of the psalm. Like, I mean, it's not made up Catholic nonsense. It's, it's a psalm. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, maybe we should pray that more. You know, that maybe I should be more aware of that, that there is a world I don't see both out to get me and to protect me, that of which God is in charge of. That is the bigger point. I think um, for me, the demon part of it was really true when we were trying to help Audra. Just seeing that. Um. Uh, <laughs> I will, I'll take this step down the road to mysticism just, with, just for a moment. We were helping this lady with her meth addiction. She was a deeply spiritual person, but you could tell when she was on the meth and when she wasn't. And somehow became more spiritual when she was on the meth, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And she would tell me what she saw and what she imagined. And I know I should have thought, this is the drunken Scotsman. I mean, if anybody is, it's the lady on meth. But then there were events in her life where you felt like the devil is out to get this woman. Like every time we tried to help her, something nefariously went wrong. So she, the day we were trying to get her into the treatment program, like it was just, it was a nightmare. Um, but we finally got her a spot after working for over a week. And she was supposed to go, or supposed to meet her over at this house and get her settled in. She's been driving her car all over Tulsa, expired tags for years, no license, all those things. That day is the day she gets pulled over. And oh, so she calls me, she's in a panic and she's trying to tell the officer, you know, they're wanting to turn her car, take her into prison, all this stuff. But please let us put, please, us, put her in a program. Please, we're like, she, literally she on the way things. to the program. Yeah, she was getting her things and she was headed to meet me. So I get on the phone with the officer and I tell him what's going on. And he's like, I'm going to give you a warning this time. Luckily, and just got her where she'd go. We got the car where it needed me and got all that fixed. But it was just those things of trying really, she's trying really hard for once in her life. And all these things just... And she said, the devil's out to get me. Yeah. He's trying to keep me from... And she kept saying that, and we're like, eh, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. 
And then yeah. more and more of that kind of stuff happened. It's like, oh my goodness. Now the other, the flip side of that, how did we meet Audra? She called the church building at Glenpool at like 5.01 on a Friday, okay? I can tell you exactly what the odds are of me answering the phone at the church, <laughs> 501 on a Friday, out. And I am out the door and it rang. I rolled my eyes and thought, don't do it, don't do it. I was like, okay. And it's a meth addict wanting to talk to me about Jesus. I'm like, oh, shouldn't have done it. <laughs> should have just gone home. And you know, I mean, who am I to say there wasn't an angel that nudged me the other direction? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Her explanation is angels intervened and demons tried to kill me. Mine is, well, I was feeling sympathetic that day and I answered the phone and the police officer was a nice guy yeah. and he did the thing, you know, but how do I know? Bam. Long time ago, long time ago, we had a guy here at Central who was to help us with our mission statement. That's what he was here for. Mm-hmm. Long time ago. And his name was Joe Bean. You heard of him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he did a thing. On, he did a whole book. And we have the cassette tapes. I still have them. Mm-hmm. On seeing the unseen. Mm-hmm. And he really did talk about um, demons in the world. But a lot of what teenagers do with Ouija boards and yeah. seances and said that you have to be really careful because you're opening the door for Satan to, yeah. and it made me it made me have a different kind of awareness, especially for children and teenagers. Yeah, might. So, so the Old Testament is adamant that you don't partake in the occult. Mm-hmm. It never suggests it isn't real, or that it isn't dangerous. It says don't do it, and we've interpreted that to mean all that's fake. Only this is real. And what the Bible actually well, taught was, example. you know, don't do that. I, yeah. In college, I took a missionary history class. Yep. Professor, I've been a missionary to Italy, but one of our projects is we had to interview like missionaries that were local, like people who retired to Cersei, um, other professors that were missionaries. And I had to interview a guy that grew up in Africa and was actually an African missionary. And he said that they had. We asked him if he dealt with it. I asked him if he had any kind of weird experiences yeah. being a missionary. And uh, he said he had to do an exorcism. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like, the way he described it, it wasn't like what you see in movies. Right, right. Um, there was a guy that had become a Christian, but the way he made his money was he did, like, fortunes. Yeah. And one of the things he used to do fortunes was, like, these dove wings. I don't know how he used them, but there was something... Something he did with them. And he just kept hearing a bird flapping its wing, all like chasing him all the time. And he said that he and the other missionaries just prayed for the guy for like a week and it eventually stopped. And they told him, you know, you're going to have to stop doing these fortunes. I mean, you're a Christian now. Yeah. And if you open this door back up and invite this back in, the Bible says it's going to be worse, mm-hmm. like seven times worse. So you're going to have to stop this. Yeah. And the guy said, well, you'd have to think about that because that was the way he made his living. Yeah. <clears throat> My friend from South Africa would tell me the same thing that he said, you know, when, especially when Church of Christ missionaries come over, who are kind of, you know, on the, the rational end of the spectrum and, and will say to the, the African potential converts, yeah, we don't believe in that stuff. And they're like, yeah, we don't either. 
And then they just don't talk about it to us, but they absolutely believe in every bit of it. He said, the people that are making converts by the millions are Pentecostal churches who don't say, we don't believe in that stuff. They say, God is more powerful than those demons. And that is a convincing message in Africa, whereas ours that says, ah, you guys are all ignorant savages, just isn't working. And you know, say what you want about it, but it's a, di- a different world in which they are living. Would you say, I'm just looking at that slide, and I'm, if beings, if angels are beings who love and serve God, I know my kids would be like, okay, so we're angels too. Ah, you know? yeah. No, you are not. You're a demon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just mine. You know, add, add the word unseen. Uh, of or non-human, yeah, not like us, but kind of like us. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, like Alex is on the big like. I don't want to go in there because there are ghosts. That's why I've been saying. I know. There's no such thing as ghosts the way you're thinking. Of it. Yeah. I'm not going to go into. Well, there are spirits that are in there because then it'll be yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I could just see them. Well, I'm an angel, but he doesn't like God, so he's a demon. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> to some degree, we may have to file it under the accept misunderstanding category, but at least they're thinking. But again, and just kind of nudge it, well, not quite. And then, you know, just kind of. Well, and we don't become angels. And we don't. Yeah. I mean, I do, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's always the interesting thing is like at funerals when they say, you know, like you gain your angels. That just gain like, your angels. We, it's yeah. like you kind of want to take the kids and be like, that's not really how that <laughs> yeah. Well, it does say we will fly on wings like eagles, but yeah. not wings like angels. I don't know how those are different. Uh, you know, this is my, I love Gustav Dory, who illustrates all the good angel stuff in the Bible. But his drawings are how Germans imagined angels in whenever he did this. You have nothing like Isaiah's angels. It's got like six wings and crazy eyes. And it's ironic we're talking about angels in Isaiah. He's like, angels with six wings, two over the face, two over the feet. Yeah. I mean, anybody who saw angels were scared. Terrified. Yeah. No one came down and was like, oh, little angel. The little cherub? Yeah, none of that. Uh, there's one being in the unseen world who is our enemy because he wants to harm us. Is that scary for kids? Yeah, maybe a little, I guess. Uh, there is real evil in the world. So then I say to my, that's the way I say it, yeah. those exact words over and over again. There is real evil in the world. And I sometimes ask, you know, why did this terrible thing happen? There is real evil in the world. Whether we call him Satan or just humans being rotten or both, there is real evil in the world. Why can't I go alone in the store to go do whatever? Why do you have to be with me all the time? There is real evil in the world. Okay, I don't want you scared all the time because I believe God is more powerful than the evil in the world. But there is real evil in the world. And so your parents watch out for you and God watches out for you. Maybe angels look out for you, but there is real evil in the world. Uh, The uh, champion of evil, such as he is, is this person known as Satan. We know even less about him than we do all the other things we talked about today. Um, if you want some speculation, read Dante's Inferno, anything else, or Milton's uh, Paradise Lost. But otherwise, the Bible's like, yep, he's there. Um, many people believe he could be an angel who became proud and decided not to serve God anymore. It's as good an answer as any, but that's kind of how I explain it. To, and then I shrug my shoulders and say, I'm really glad that God's going to beat him. Um, God is more powerful than Satan and every other person or being. 
seen or unseen. God promised that he would defeat Satan's plan to hurt people. The story of Jesus tells us how God defeats Satan. And so it's a great time to pivot towards, yeah, there is more out there. Christ defeated that too. He defeated the things we see. He defeated the things we can't see. And that's, that's how the story ends. Kids are coming down the hall, so I better quit. Next week, how to talk to kids about, we're going to start, how to talk to kids about Christmas, how to talk to kids about Santa, and then we're going to have a lesson on how to talk to kids about gifts and gratitude. Mm -hmm. So three separate weeks. Three separate weeks. Yep. <laughs> and they will be recorded. So enjoy. <laughs>